Okay, so folks, welcome back to Ballymundo's Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Bell, and we are here in the Access Centre talking about recovery. Um, it's Recovery Month, September, and we have some services in to talk about their service. We have Talcott River Project, um, and we have Jerry and Gemma in to talk about that today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves now in a moment, but as you know, um, September is Recovery Month, and we're talking about service, and we're trying to open people's eyes and ears to what happens in a treatment service, what goes on in the day to day, and how people can access treatment treatment pathways. Um, so yeah, I'm going to open the floor to Jerry and let him introduce himself and talk a little bit about himself. So thanks very much for coming in today, Jerry. Um, the floor is yours. Right, well, you'll have to control me, Jimmy, because I, I could go on all day here. Um, my name's Jerry Ryan, and I'm the service manager at the Talca River project um over in Blanchestown. Um I won't call it TRP because Pat Daly over in Tallinn now he's hanging on to a resentment there and <laughs> I thought I helped him deal with that long ago, but obviously not, but it's Holka River Project, not TRP. Okay. Um and I'm fortunate enough to be the service manager there and I brought Gem- Gemma along with me from the project today. Hey yes, I'm um Gemma Coleman. Um I'm currently working as a recovery coach in Tolka River. I've been through the service and went off, done some training and came back to do some work experience. Thanks very much, I appreciate that. So just, Jerry, on Talca River, River Project, t- can you explain to me a little bit about the historical context of that and how that came about? Yeah, um, so it's 15 years old this year, actually, which makes me feel old. Yeah. Um, and 15 years ago, I was working in Kilmoyne. I was working in Lord Ever Street. I'd been in all the facilities. And that project, the original version of that project had been closed down for a couple of years for whatever reason. And the local task force had approached Kilmoyne that could Kilmoyne buddy up with them, support the project to reopen. And I went for the job. And God, I was only meant to be there a year. It was literally to set it up and to use the support of Kilmoyne for governance, um, clinical practices, type of programme, all that jazz because of Kilmoyne's positive reputation. And after a year, it wasn't quite there because of some of the, the local issues. So we agreed to extend it for two years. So I was going back to Kilmoyne, you know, in whatever year it was, 2010, to go back to whatever job I was doing there uh, once the place was ready. But something happened in year two. Year one was all very business. It was like any project. You come in, there's a start, middle and end. We needed to extend it. This is going to be the end. But in, in year two, some, something had happened there and an opportunity came for me to stay. So I literally just transferred. And it was a big deal for me because Kilmoyne would be close to my heart. Yeah, of course, um, yeah. And it was a big risk. But, you know, it was well worth it. And, you know, I'm delighted that, that I made the move then full-time. So I'm full-time for Tolka, 13 years, but 15 years there in total. Um, and I've worked in Kilmoyne for a few years before then. And you talked about some of that governance and then some of that, obviously, that knowledge that you had gained through Kilmoyne. So would the project have some type of um, kind of structure that is kind of formed like a, like a baby of Kilmoyne or does it have its own standout kind of methods? It's definitely got its standout. In the early years, that kind of structure and that what I had learned from working in Kilmoyne and having been through Kilmoyne, that, that, that structure was really important. The structure keeps people in recovery safe. And if people know what they're doing at 10 a.m. or 1 p.m. or whatever in the day, there's a safety in that. Mm. Um, so we brought all of them. And, but the, the unique thing that happened from the funders was the idea behind Tolka is, is that it formed its own identity. 
with the support of Cool Moine. Um, so it wasn't about it being a cool mind baby and that was great because Paul Conlon was the CEO at the time and Paulie McKeown who's now the CEO was head of services and really between me and Paulie and that, that first two years we really worked at Tolka being an independent entity and not being seen as a cool mind baby um, and that was really important to cool mind first and foremost and also to the project that it was independent but it was about taking in cool mind at the time had you know, 35 years, because it's 50 this year, I think. Yeah. So 35 years of being a project. So we were able to take the policies and say which ones are relevant here in Blanchestown. We had the support of different types of treatment approaches um, to be able to try them out with live client groups to see what works in that community. Um, and, and that was the thing that really opened my eyes. It was about not coming in and saying, this is a service for the community and this is all you can get. The idea was about working with the people from the community, other service providers, but first and foremost, the clients, and about seeing what worked in Blanchestown. Um, and, and that was, I don't know if at the time it was unique, but it was certainly unique to me because I came from that, you know, Kilmoyne had been long established. We, you know, at the time we had that approach. It was in, well in the process of its own evolution, but it was, that's what you've done in Kilmoyne. Yeah. Um, and by changing that tax, so that that was new for me. And was that transition period hard? Like, was it difficult for you? You know, that kind of crossover. Yeah, but, yeah it was definitely difficult because I suppose I came from a world of when recovery was either it was black or white. Yeah, you were drug and alcohol free, or you were active. There was no in between. And the idea of Tolka was, what's the in between? Because we can't keep marginalising people because somebody might need to be an opiate substitution for a little bit longer. They still need support. They still need day services. So working in the in-between, yeah, it really challenged me personally and professionally, but it also opened me eyes to what recovery really meant. And I kind of noticed how much, as a person, my own interpretation of recovery was starting to change and evolve. That the black and whiteness was, was kind of going and, you know, kind of inviting in the bit of grey was nice. Because, yeah. you know, what, um, I suppose when I worked in Coolmoyne and back then in that kind of late 90s, early 2000s, it was quite a disciplinarian programme, lots of structure, lots of pull-ups, things like that. Um, and they work and they still work to this day. But I wasn't working in a residential. Yeah. This was a day service. People were going home to partners, kids, you know, the the risk of you know, using every single day. Opportunity was there, yeah. All the time. So uh, really challenging. Yeah, so it just it was really interesting that lead into my next question and I'll get Gemma in now was that when you talk there about that transition period of opening your eyes to other aspects of recovery and something that we ask everybody on this podcast because there is a recovery podcast, what does recovery mean to you? It obviously has changed since yeah, then, you it's know. It's evolved massively and, and I actually thank Kilmoyne for that, that even though I went through there as a client in the 90s and got recovery and the penny eventually dropped, yeah, as hard as they tried, yeah. uh, the penny did eventually drop. But it's evolved so much and... You know, there's certain times, people, places and events that happen to kind of go, recovery isn't just about being drug and alcohol free. That's one part of it. Yeah. It's about being able to keep services open, keep your door open to people, that as long as somebody's turning up, yeah. essentially that's recovery. As long as they're looking for change, as long as they want to address their own trauma, the impact of deprivation and poverty on them, the impact of drug and alcohol use, mental health issues. Like the term mental health didn't exist 25 years ago. Mm. 
Yeah. We didn't even use... You weren't allowed to talk about it. No, no. She had to go deal with your addiction before you dealt with your mental health. You know, and, and there was all these, all this stigma and marginalisation. And it's evolved so much. And talk has been a big part of that. In, I would have been originally very close to the arts, to drama, mm. to holistic therapies. Yeah. You know, so that's a cop out. You need to get into group there and work on your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? When you start trying that, yeah. you see a lad learning to play guitar, you see a client getting up in front of the client group and they read out a poem, you kind of go, all of this stuff is relevant. Yeah. You know, Massive. every little bit, going out for a walk is relevant. Yeah. The term pro-social and pro-socialization is relevant. We all know what anti-social is, mm. but there's an opposite to that. Mm. Um, and all of these things have really involved my thinking. That, that uh, you know, recovery is so many things, and it's not just whether you're you know you're active or you're not in your substance use. You know, engagement is is recovery. Very good. And what about for yourself? Yeah, um, even Gemma? starting off on my own journey, like I I didn't even know what the word recovery meant. Um, and when I joined Talca then, it, it, it's given me so many opportunities. Like, I never realised what's actually out there and available for people in recovery. Yeah. Um, opportunities like client forums within the service, all helping build confidence, getting family relationships back, you know. There's, there's so much educational as well available for people in recovery, yeah. which, which is amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you build up that confidence and you can go out and you can come back and you can walk in the service. Yeah. Yeah, plenty of opportunity. Yeah, very good. Thanks very much, Gemma. Uh, just a quick one for you, Jerry, in terms of, which was really interesting. So you talked about the black and white and kill mine, yeah? And now kill mine, you can go in on, you can you can go into their treatment centre with 40 mils of methadone. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Do you think that they might have learned something from Talca uh, River? No, in I, that terms, because no, that was happening it was a stumbling block, wasn't it? Yeah, that, yeah. That, that started happening. I remember being being part of the discussions and that development, and, and it, it was such a big thing to be part of. As a, as a past resident and being rigid in that way of thinking and being part of walking in Coolmine as them changes happen, when I look back now, that was, it was, that was where my learning as a professional came from. And as a human being, to be more open yeah. to, to people is... As Kilmoyne opened its first stabilisation programme, um, the Welcome programme, I remember being part of the first woman going into Ashley with a child and detoxing yeah, in amazing. Ashley House. And I sit back and I actually remember the clients because I, I brought her down, yeah. you know, and went and collected the meds with her before she went down. And being part of such a big moment, <laughs> you look back and kind of go, that, that's pride. And they're the things that I was able to bring to Tolka. Yeah. Because Kilmoyne was going through this wonderful modernisation and change at the time, and having been the a past resident, then an employee and staff member, and seeing this evolution happen, mm. um, and I think being part of that that growth mm. um, at that time is, is really what informed Talca to be open to be open to everything. Mm. Like we planted a tiny forest this year, Jimmy, mm. right? And planting a forest. You know, what, you like literally, like yeah. we planted a forest yeah. on the grounds of Tolga River. Oh wow! We heard watch Europe. Yeah, yeah. You know, and they were actually over yesterday. So, and such a buzz listening to, them. they left us all this kit to do scientific data on a forest about you know the carbon footprint of the area. And I, I can talk more about that, but it was being part of that evolution in Kilmore in the late nineties and, and early two thousands, um, 
is what informed me as a walker that made me made me better as time went on to be a bit more relaxed about things to think it a bit to actually think in the big picture mm-hmm. instead of being micro all the time and yeah. um, where if that change hadn't happened then i don't know if it, that would have informed me and my change so I, I credit all that to you know to cool mine and that evolution in you know from the, the late 90s on mm-hmm. you know um so Talca River, so mm-hmm. can you just explain to the, the listeners who might know nothing about the project, how does how does it operate? What's its day to day like, you know? So currently it's it's a fairly structured program. And essentially we've got about five or six different services. But the, the main program and programs is that there's three distinct day programs. There's a preparation day program, and that's for people, you know, looking to get into the day services. And that kind of happened during COVID because we were one of the few services that were physically open yeah. throughout the whole of COVID. So this new service kind of evolved where we needed somewhere to walk with people during a really difficult time in the pandemic. And we've got a new beginnings program, which is mainly aimed at people who are in medication-assisted recovery, people on Suboxone, varying different opiate substitutions such as methadone or buvidol, People that are on some sort of medication, could be on anti-bills for alcohol recovery, um, or people who've never been in recovery before and might struggle in a group. Mm. So they work that program for a number of months. And depending on their pathway, they can then graduate or progress into a dedicated drug-free day program, which is called Discovery. Mm. Um, I like that name. It's a great name. And that came from the clients. Yeah. Um, and, and Gem and I talking a while a bit more about we've got this thing called a client forum in, in Tolka um, that informs us from a client point of view about how we need to change and evolve. Really important. Really important. That's how we ended up with an aftercare group. Yeah. That came from a client service, uh, a client uh, client forum where a client said, well, what am I going to do after here? Yeah. You, know, that, you know, this other route of recovery is not my pathway. My pathway is, is I want to stay in my community. Yeah. So what am I going to do? It's like, we have to do something how am I going to do this and that's how we developed an aftercare service Um, that still still remains unfunded to this day Um, just getting that out there just getting that out there and And it's very successful extremely successful so we had our own kind of graduations there a few weeks ago lovely Um, I think it was about a dozen people had completed their aftercare programme so but anyway and that's the main body of what we do Aftercare is another piece. We've got, we've had a recovery calf. Originally, it was called a social club since like 2010. We've been running them in Blanchestown, mm. um, and then we kind of changed the name then in recent years to to be more in line with what's happening through the Recovery Academy of Ireland and pop up recovery calves. And um, we felt putting ourselves in line with, with that movement would you know get more people through the door on a Monday evening, and it does. So. We've kind of evolved. Like originally, we were only meant to work with people on opiate substitution, and it was like, but just people presenting that have serious problems with weed, with cocaine, with alcohol, with prescription drugs, with benzodiazepines, hypnotics, etc. We we need to change, mm. um, and and that's what's made us grow to be as big as we are today. Like we we generally have about thirty people on our day programs wow. at any one time. That's it's amazing. a huge number of people. Yeah, it is. It's really know. good. Yeah. And Gemma for yourself as a participant, uh, past participant, how how was the day to day for you at the beginning and then how did you find, kind of find the structure as you grew into the programme? Yeah, so I think Jerry said it there at the start, like how important structure is when you first come into recovery. And that's kind of the first thing I learned was to to have a structure and a routine 
in my week and on my weekends especially so that was the first thing I was taught which was so important and mm. and I still live by that today um you do your weekly planners your weekend planners stuff like that um and then as I moved on through the program then into the next group into new beginnings um I was part of the client forum then which is a massive part of the service it's so important um so I'll just explain what what that's like yeah, so, please do, yeah. so that's once a month um all the clients will get together and we'll sit down and we'll discuss like what what things they're enjoying is there anything we could improve on how the service is for them any changes that you know suggestions for for things to be made and 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 then we see the change we relay all the information then back to Jerry and he'll look at it and you know the clients they want to do a bit of yoga we'll get someone in to do yoga yeah. we set up lunches through the client forum and that as well so for the clients to get there say like and and see the change you know and and to to feel heard yeah. you know what I mean so important isn't so it? important yeah, yeah. yeah. really is and, and it's really massive that you are able to do that and you are in a position to do that Jerry because mm-hmm. then the, mm-hmm. the the participants are informing the practice you know and they're informing you of how or what should go on or what they need, might need um, in terms of an individual coming into the project I, I know is it like case by case or is it like you know group or there's a structure that kind of you have to kind of evolve into or do you know what I mean yeah well there'll be so a referral could come a referral source can be anywhere it can be self-referral it can be walk-in it can be a doctor another service or whoever and everybody has to go through a standard assessment process and that really depending on the case and, and how the person presents depends on how long the assessment is but we try to get it between four and six sessions to really prepare people and motivate people so as that they you know they really know what they're signing up for mm. that you know a project like Tolka and then how we kind of support recovery we really disrupt people's relationship to substances and alcohol and we make sure we let people know that so it's not a trick there's no ambushing you know and um, so people get a, it's true that informed consent yeah now we got to disrupt it. That relationship exists for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And then people progress through them stages of getting into the preparation program. And then depending on, you know, what they're getting assessed for, whether it's the drug free day program or whether it's the medication assisted recovery program, you know, as soon as a place becomes available, they'll then enter either group and then they'll continue on in that program. And both groups, we kind of put, we kind of give a guide of about eight months in each group, but some people need more, yeah. and some people need less, and that's okay. Yeah. You know, so like you know, some younger people might only need four or five months with us, and then they can move on. Um, people who've been in and out of recovery a few times, they may have that that recovery capital, and they might only need a few months, and they're ready to go back to employment, college, wh- wh- whatever their pathway is. Yeah, um, just as you said that there about the referrals and stuff like that, we will put a link up to this podcast at the end to Tolga River Project and we will put phone numbers and social media sites and stuff like that that uh, that is associated with us that if people do want to get in contact with you, they can. Um, in terms of cost, how does that operate or is there a cost um, for an individual coming on the project? No, no cost. Well, we're completely funded through the Blanchestown Local Drug and Alcohol Task Force uh, and the the HSE here in Ballymun. 
um, CHO9. And then also because part of the project is we have a CE scheme, so there'd be money from the Department of Social Protection, but there's no cost to the client. But because we believe that you know recovery is something that, that's independent and we're trying to provide an environment that's empowering and nurturing, we have these things through the client forum that, that Gemma spoke about where we've got a fantastic kitchen. And we, we used to be able to provide food in our budget. And we, you know, I don't need to go back to the savage cuts of 2010. Um, but that budget was then, that was one of the luxury items, if you like, that were cut and has never been reinstated. So in about 2010, the clients came up with an idea. Well, if everybody here was here, including the staff, within a five or a week, we'd be able to do a shop. And that still exists to this day. Wow. And it's a client responsibility. So, you know, Johnny or Mary goes around with their little list. Jerry, you know, where's your fiver? Clients go off, they put a shopping list together and we were able to work with the DSP to get roles of support workers in the kitchen, a chef. Mm -hmm. And there's been many different people who have occupied the role of chef. And we get to cook fantastic meals. So as we're leaving the project today to come over here, beautiful, massive pot of homemade soup is on. Um, we got a chipper yesterday because it was science day in the forest <laughs> but on Monday we had BLT where are you going to get a BLT for a euro yeah mm. and that's three slices of bacon ah jeez I'm going over there crispy bacon yeah yeah <laughs> but that's a client led thing and the same Brilliant. we do a residential every year and we get no funding whatsoever for that that's all done with the clients the clients save every week so I put that three euro five euro clients go around you know, in each group, there's there's kind of reps nominated, like a group leader, and he or she, they go around, they go, you know, where's your fiver, where's your tenant? And the staff buy into that, so you've got that role model and leading that's happening. But it's an empowering thing as opposed to an enabling thing. Yeah. And then you get to go away on a three-day holiday. Oh, it's brilliant. And it's also giving them roles and responsibilities, things that they'll use mm -hmm. in their life after Talker River projects. You know what I mean? Exactly. These things are life skills that they'll have forever. You know? Imagine how uncomfortable it is for a, for a client. that It could be three months, four months on the programme, they're drug and alcohol free, maybe 12 weeks, and they have to knock on the staff office and ask six or seven staff for a fiver. Yeah. Yeah, imagine how difficult that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then whatever banter goes on there. Yeah. But All I've done for your recovery and you're charging me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure that, that gets dished out. Of course it does. Yeah. Um, but how much then that can help a person grow in their confidence. That I'm just carrying out a function. This is a job. And, you know, and it also gives the client a relationship with every staff member. Um, just that little thing, tiny little thing. But it's huge for the client and, and it's something that, you know, we're very proud of in the project and doing things in that way. Yeah, you talked about holistic um, and I'll get Gemma as well to talk about this as well. The holistic approach is huge and the so the big social aspect that you're trying to do. And it's read on the on the uh, website that you direct people into different social um activities that are happening in the community so community reinforcement so how do people respond to that and has that been successful as as you'd like it's probably been more successful than than i ever thought yeah. um and having a balanced program that's not all traditional therapy yeah. and workshops and telling you how bad drugs are and da 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 by actually having a balanced program you don't need to do any scaremongering yeah because people then attach themselves to, oh no, we're going for a walk, we're going for a hike, we're going sea swimming. Yeah. You know, we're, we're building a forest. Yeah. Whatever the different activities are, the gym, the di different football tournaments, whatever it is, 
you don't have to do any of the scare tactics because they don't work anyway. Um, but pro-social stuff and access to that is, uh, I, I've learned over the years, and we need to research it more in this country, is the impact that has, I would suspect, is, is way more significant than the impact of sitting in a relapse prevention group and, you know, being taught about people, places and things. Yeah. I would think having access to all them different outlets yeah. is probably more reinforcing. Yeah. You know, than any of its traditional therapies. Yeah, definitely, I would agree as well. Yeah, it really does have mm-hmm. a huge impact on the individual because mm-hmm. not only do they feel belong to the recovery community, they feel belong to other communities, and connection is so important, oh, uh, and, and reconnection because we do become disconnected mm-hmm. uh, through our substance. For yourself, uh, Gemma, um, what, how was that for you, balancing that out? Um, pro socials when when I first started in Tolga, I I would have went to the opening of an envelope. But you know okay, what I mean? I went good. to absolutely everything. Yeah. That's where I got me belonging yeah. and me connection. And again, it's just it's so important because yeah. it is. It's scary coming in, and you know you have to stay away from certain people, and you're terrified. You think you know you you can't live a normal life again yeah. when you go on these pro socials. The best laughs you'll ever have yeah. with people who who just want to have fun yeah. sober yeah. it's amazing like yeah. it really is yeah very good um so yeah jerry what about in terms of um i suppose rules and governing and stuff like that is there any type of stuff that people should be aware of of that like you know obviously you're different than some projects might say like there's no use of drugs on the premises you know but you also have um we don't want people using on the premises. Yeah, no, but you <laughs> know, know what I'm saying. Mean, yeah. You know, the people might be, you know, have to take some medication but before we, they come. You know, well, exactly. And yeah. in some cases, people, you know, we would have uh, built-in procedures, like when we go away in residential. You know, we'd have to bring a medicine cabinet. Yeah. So we make sure everybody's trained and understands that. Yeah. Not that we dispense it. We give the people their own medication. They dispense it. We record it. We supervise it. Um, but we make it really difficult. For people to be discharged. Yeah, yeah, right? that's brilliant. And that's really, really important. And I'm always reminded of this story of a client we had, and he used to go to, his family had a farm over in the West, Sligo or Mayo. And he'd go over every two or three weeks. And he was stable on, on, on his, his methadone at the time. And he'd get off a bus hours after coming back on a Sunday, and he'd go and he'd score a bit of gear, and he'd use, and he'd come in on the Monday and doing his weekend review. Oh, I'm not used. And through working with him, through understanding that relapse pattern, after a good few weeks and a good few times of this happening, and myself and there was a guy called Tommy Kenny working on the project, great man, um, and we were in the group, and a client came in, he says, well, I was over in Mayo or Sligo the weekend, and I didn't use, and he says, how come? And we used to do these things, and we still do them called a relapse functional analysis, which is just an analysis of looking at your most recent relapse, and he says, the thought of doing another fucking relapse functional analysis <laughs> because I was sitting there I had a choice to use or to fill out this form tomorrow and I said I'm not using yeah. and I just think that you know for, for me that, that was brilliant that we persevered with somebody to yeah. understand the relapse dynamic that you know the Nancy Reagan just say no never actually really worked that by understanding his attachment to the drug and his relationship over time we were able to disrupt that relationship and build in things that rather than getting off the bus on a Sunday night at Bus Iris, the automatic response being go and get stoned, 
It's now I'm going to ring one of my group and say I've just landed back in Dublin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Powerful, isn't it? Powerful. Yeah, yeah. Really and, powerful. But you would only get that if you walked with them over a series of lapses, you know, an event. And that's one of the things that that I really like about Tolka is, is that you know we walk through the process. As, as best we can and for as long as we can because you also then have to have a cut off at some point where if somebody is becoming a risk to other people on the programme you have to make an intervention you know and sometimes that's about reducing that programme but then increasing that programme somewhere else um, because not everybody makes it and recovery month is all about the goodness of recovery but not everybody makes it um, and not everybody you know day programs or residentials aren't for everybody either mm. some people just respond better to one-to-one work mm. or natural recovery mm. i'd love to hear more about people who never got into services or found recovery i'd love to hear more stories about that mm. um so i suppose back to your question yeah there is so we try and work with the relapse and we use them as learning experiences with the client mm. there may be assignments they have to do and present them one-to-one or in a group about picking apart what that behavior is yeah well, it was good to hear you talk about the um, the aftercare, which is a huge piece that, you know, um, I think in, in a person's journey that sometimes really might fall short mm-hmm. and that you have established your own aftercare um, group now. Can you elaborate a little bit on that, both of you, um, in terms of how that works and operates? Yeah, well, it's it's a one group a week. Um, we've, we've got plans because of how, uh, how recovery has changed and evolved. Um, historically, it's been a drug and alcohol-free aftercare. And hopefully over the next year, we'll be able to establish one for people in medication-assisted recovery as well. That currently doesn't exist, not in Blanchardstown anyway. Um, but our current one is it's drug and alcohol-free. It's, it's one evening a week. Each kind of group, we try and design the aftercare group with the client groups that are there. That They're telling us what they want to work on. So it's not a little superficial check-in, you know, got up on Tuesday, had me breakfast, stuck to me structure. It's not that. It's about people coming in. Because generally they're in recovery quite a while now, so other issues are starting to come up. There's new presentations. People's lives are changing. They may be starting to get into relationships again for the first time in recovery. They may be leaving relationships that they've been in for a long time. They may be having kids, etc. So there's a lot of stuff changing. So we try and get the clients to inform us, uh, but it's ran in in a therapeutic way. And we'll deliver workshops, we've open groups, we've all different sorts. But we do our best to get as many ideas from the clients as possible. It lasts between 8 and 12 months, depending on when you start. Mm. Um, and if people need one-to-ones, it's by request, if you like, because obviously we're limited with resources. But if somebody needs, they're really struggling or they want to work on something, they can come in and over maybe four to six weeks do a series of work on one-to-one. Um, while still engaging the group as well. Oh, very so good. that's kind of how it works. Yeah, there's another option there too yeah. for crisis, yeah. Definitely. Um, how about yourself? Do you went through the aftercare? Did yeah, you? I'm currently in the aftercare. Oh, you're still in now. it well. Yeah, wow. and just as Jerry said, there one evening per week we um, we go and we, we do group and we do various different types of workshops and stuff like that. Um, everybody is at different stages, but we come together and we 
we come up with with new stuff to to talk about and stuff like that so it is it's great yeah. to have it yeah very good mm. yeah that's brilliant thanks very much um yeah so look you know i think you've covered a lot of the project and you've covered a lot of the day-to-day stuff Um, if there's any listener out there who is interested in joining Taga river project um, we will put all the stuff up at the end but if there's anything that you might want to say to somebody who's contemplating recovery or you might want to say to somebody that's contemplating getting in touch with your project now is your time to say it um yeah just for, for everybody and see we're very lucky we're not bound by a catchment so as long as people can get to us, yeah. you know, come to us, come have a conversation, have a chat. We, we like we don't try and just get everybody on the program. We work with each individual that that talka is best matched to their needs, yeah. and that it's the right place for them at this moment in their journey. And if recovery is a journey, it has to fit. That you know, you know, the two things have to you know work together. That the project is what the client needs and the client is ready to be there to, to challenge themselves in that way and if they're not we'll certainly refer you on but get in touch come up have a conversation we people majority of people are from Dublin 15 but people come in from Navin we've had people come in from Cavan yeah. you know now they've had their own transport but people come from all over to access the project come in have a conversation see if it's for you give us a call you know, people reach out to us all the time on our social media platforms through through private messages, uh, looking for support. Um, but and anybody can do that, and we'll see what we can do. But it's about you know get in touch. We'll have a conversation, and we'll go from there. And from a participant point of view, what would you say to somebody about how your journey's been on the project? Um, definitely get in touch. You know, like everybody's everybody's journey is completely different. You know, what I mean, so they will always walk and and around you to suit you do you know what i mean so look you're worth it do you know what i mean get in touch get in contact um yeah thanks very much and we're very patient jenna as you now i've been lucky enough to be up at the project a few times and it is an amazing project and you know keep flying that flag for recovery fair play to jerry so proud of you so proud of you because i know you a long time and uh big part of my own recovery journey and I appreciate all the support you gave me over the years and it's lovely to meet yourself as well Gemma thanks so very thanks very much for coming in today taking time out as a busy schedule we really appreciate it and we hope some of our listeners get something out of this so um, if you just need that and get in touch thanks Jimmy thanks very much this is Nave's recovery story I was born in the late 70s. I lived in Ballymun and I lived there until I was about 11. In Ballymun, I remember that we never really had money. I had younger siblings. We moved to a different part of Dublin when I was 11. But when I was a kid, we grew up in Ballymun. There was substance abuse in the family. My dad was a substance user. I saw a lot of things as a kid, things that kids shouldn't see or be around. I was in a lot of places around town and around a lot of clinics in town including the old Javis Street Clinic. I was always quite shy or a little bit awkward as a kid, but I always felt really ashamed of my father and what he was. I loved school and I was quite good at school, actually. My first escape was books. I went to my nanny's a lot as a child. My mum's family didn't really like my dad. As kids, we went to my nanny's a lot, but me more so. My nanny was always very good to me. That was like my little sanctuary going to my nanny's house at the weekends. I always felt quite safe there. She protected me and looked after me. She bought me my communion dress and stuff like that. My mum didn't have the money. 
I remember I joined the library as a kid. I would be reading books like Paddington Bear and stuff like that. It was like I was in the book and as if I was watching a film, I would be in the film. I always wanted to be someone that wasn't me. I remember being in school and I was quite good in school, quite clever. My dad was quite like that too. As I said, my dad was in substance use, but my dad never was really there. I don't really remember him being there. He was always off somewhere. and When he came back, he would always be under the influence. He wasn't a very good role model either as a father. Years later, he's dead now, but years later we used together. He got me on methadone and I robbed tablets on him, but that was down the road. I always had this thing about heroin. I hated heroin because my dad was on it and because of the stigma I felt as a child because my dad was a heroin addict. In school plays and for parent-teacher meetings, I used to be so embarrassed because I was quite clever, quite outgoing, a pleasant child, but always felt less than because of the shame, because of the way my dad was. I liked living in Ballymun. I always remember when we moved to another part of Dublin, the neighbours and none of them would let their kids play with us. I don't know what it was. Maybe because we were from Ballymun or the way my dad was there. Always that separation piece. I did fifth class and sixth class and made my confirmation in a school that wasn't in Ballymun. I travelled from Ballymun to that school every day. I was quite wild. Then moving from one place to another and I found a hard settling in. I had this one friend and I am actually still friends with her now. We started taking these together and when we were teenagers we actually used to smoke hash and drink together. Our first time we were about 11 or 12 when I think about when we first started drinking. Myself and that girl were hanging about with people that were older than us. It seemed a cool thing to do and everybody on the fields and I wanted to fit in. I hate the taste of it but see the feeling that it gave me. It gave me this type of confidence. I felt like I was one of them. And you know the stuff that was going on at home was kind of gone then. I could enjoy myself. That feeling it gave me but I still had the thing about heroin. I hated heroin and didn't realise where this was going to bring me. At the time it was just fun. I thought everybody was doing it plus the influence that my dad had me too. Because this girl I palled around with. Her background was completely different to mine even though her family was separated too. We did get on. I brought her out shoplifting with me because I knew how to do it and through my dad and stuff like that. Anyway, we started smoking hash together and drinking. My first drink was a can of LCL and I drank it slowly because I thought you were going to get more out of it. I held on to that feeling. I loved the feeling and then every week I was drinking and then obviously it progressed to hash. Even before that, I remember sniffing Tipex, aerosols and stuff like that from around the house. Going through my teens, I wouldn't bring anyone into my house or anything. I was so embarrassed to bring them in. Obviously, my dad would have been there a lot, but when he was there, he would be in the same fucking chair, in the same position, in the same sitting room. And my ma would be sitting looking at the telly like this was normal. I just had a lot of shame and guilt as a teenager and the substance helped me get away from that. I went a bit wild in my teenage years. I was out partying a lot and I'm actually glad now but my mum made me stay at school. I did my leaving cert during this time. I was still partying and doing ears and coke. I was partying all weekend and I would go home on a Sunday and go to school on a Monday morning. Looking back now, I am so glad I got to do my leaving. I got seven honours, don't ask me how I got them. I was still out partying to escape all the stuff that was going on at home. I just thought this was normal. This is what everybody did. Then I met this fella. I knew him from the area. 
he hid that he was taking heroin. He had been over in England and booked all kinds of things. I was really attracted to this and I started going out with him. Then within six months of going out with him, he had come back and his eyes I knew because of my dad's. I knew by someone if they were on heroin. Obviously I confronted him and he denied it. I remember we were out one night and we came back to his mum's and he said, I need to go down and get something. I had a few arguments with him before I said, fuck it, just go down and get it. He went down and got his heroin and we smoked it and I remember getting sick, but whatever happened that night within six months, I was strung out from smoking heroin. I remember I had an interview to become an air hostess. It was my second or third interview in Dublin Airport, but instead of going to that interview, I told my mum I was going for the interview and said I went off smoking heroin. That was the start of it. A few months later I did an accountancy course and then I done a reception course for about eight months. This was before I got really, really bad in my twenties. I was good at walking into jobs and what would happen is I would get a little break and be stable for a certain amount of time then I'd go off using again and the job would be done. I was on the streets a good few times. Walking the streets of Dublin because I was always really afraid in the hostels, really unsure of myself. I lived like that for a long time in and out of my mass, in and out of different relationships and they were just based around drugs and substances. My drug use developed further. I would get a certain amount of stability and I would go and do courses and counselling or something like that and then I would forget all about it. I might do a couple of meetings and then I would forget all about them and go off using. This was how my life was for a long time. I actually had this mentality that I was always going to be on methadone and prescribed medications. I had gone to a load of psychiatrists and the diagnosis was that I was just a very damaged young woman and very, very hurt. I went around as a bit of a loner and then towards the end I was just basically living in a room. I didn't go outside the door. All the good jobs I had and the education just went out the fucking window. I remember doing a day programme and they put me to do psychology and we were doing that and I remember sitting in a room with people and doing cocaine and I was telling them all that was wrong with them. I would diagnose them and I sure they thought I was fucking nuts. The stuff comes back to me every now and again but I was lost and I had the mentality that this is always going to be like this. I hated Christmas, I hated birthdays and I hated anything that was a celebration because I knew I'd have to be around my family and I'd have to show myself. I remember my brother came down with his two kids and they weren't allowed up to the room to see me. I was an embarrassment. At the last few years, when I was really bad, I spent my days sitting there watching telly, staying up quite late at night smoking and not going out. Apart from going to the chemist every day, that was my life then. I was on social welfare and I would collect my social on the Wednesday and go off and get loads of crack for the rest of the week. I would be in my mass and that was my life. The jobs, all the ambitions I had just went out the window. I hated myself, I hated the world. I was always on the pity thing about it. If dad wasn't the way he was, I wouldn't be the way I am, but my brothers and sisters are not like me, so I couldn't blame that. I ended up going on a holiday. My sister's friend had gotten pregnant and my mum paid for me to go in her place. About a year before that, I had been asking the doctor, would he take me off my methadone because I wanted to detox because it wasn't working. I just knew I couldn't keep living like that. My mental health was really bad. I was really depressed and I didn't really think I would be sitting here right now. I kept going the way I was going. I probably would have ended it all. It was just misery. I went on a holiday to Marbella and I remember going over there and it was like I got a spiritual awakening. 
but I also got a smack of reality about the way I'd lived my life for years and that everyone else saw me for years and for a long time I couldn't just see that. Not only did I look different than all the girls there but on the inside I was just dead and I was in this world with all these yachts and the sun and it struck me that if I continue to do what I am doing now and I am just going to die so I need to do something. I need to change this and this was the decision I made over there. So I flew back to Dublin, I was on the methadone clinic and at the time I didn't go back near the clinic. My sister dragged me up and I always remember this, the doctor turned around to me and he took out a file. This was 2013 and the file was from 2006. He handed my sister the file and said she's a lifer, she's never going to get off this. So that spurred me on even more. Because I came off everything myself I ended up in a drug induced psychosis. My mum's partner was an alcoholic and I didn't get on with him. I threatened him and my mum threw me out. I was back living in a hostel in town. Because I was living there, it was really hard to get out to the clinic. I was on 100 mils, but I wasn't taking any of it. I asked them to give me 40 mils a week or two of that my doctor would put me on the city clinic. I said I am not going there, so I've just stopped. I was on Valium, Zimavane and Methadone at the time. I just stopped everything but I don't recommend anyone to do this because of the dangers involved here physical and mental health. Despite the psychosis something was just telling me everything was going to be okay. I was great at filling out forms and when I was in the hostel my phone got robbed but I was still writing in all these treatment referral forms to every treatment centre. The doctors were ringing to see where I was. Nobody knew where I was and I had this mad thing in my head that I couldn't go out and collect money in my local post office because I thought people were after me. My head was mad from years of taking substances and mental stuff. I eventually ended up in a Christian centre for a detox. I thought it was like who mine, I was so naive. I remember the girl I started taking substances with and my sister brought me to a church in Ballyframe. When I went in, I had already been to the doctors a few days before and there was nothing in my urine, it was all out of me. I just went in because I needed to go somewhere. Living in a hostel in town, they are all using around me. I started going to meetings as well and then I went into the Christian place. I lasted there six months, don't ask me how. And I know people talk about it, but it helped me to get from where I was and when I came out, I moved back into Vimas. I had changed, but nothing had changed back out there. I was running around with a woman from Ballymun that was there. She was taking Lyrica and I had never taken them before. And within a few days of hanging around with her, I asked her for one. I was in a day programme in town and I relapsed for about a week or two and then I got such a fright. I was honest with them, they kept me on the programme and that was the last time I ever used, that was over eight years ago. I got more learning from the experience of relapsing than I did from any book or step work or things like that. I know I can't go out and have just one drink, whatever is in me I don't know what it is. Today I really believe that if I can get off substances and get drug free from this life that I lived anyone can. I actually walk in the community today, helping people to get to this stage. But just to say again, anybody can do this. It just takes time and the use of supports that are around you. Start to open up, go to meetings, go to services, put your name down for a treatment detox and anybody I believe can get substance free. The life that I live today is so completely different from the life I used to live. My mentality has completely changed and I am proud of the person that I am today. I am sure that my dad is looking down on me and is so proud of me. I would like to dedicate this story to my dad who died 20 years ago. 
I am in a fellowship and I put my badges on his grave every year just because he never got to do this. <laughs>